So here's the question. How do active people in the Des Moines area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Ryan Domeyer, and welcome to the Rev Health Radio Podcast. Welcome back to the Rev Health Radio Podcast. Dr. Ryan here today. I have a special guest with me, Eric Dominguez. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things. We've been talking for the last 15 minutes and realized we probably should have been recording, talking about parenting and owning a business and stress and anxiety and everything in between. So we finally pressed record, and I'm excited to ask Eric about a host of different topics. But Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, anyone out there listening, Eric, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself, a little bit where what your journey is, how you got to Des Moines, what do you do now? All the different stories. So I'll give you a quick snapshot, bird's eye uh, overview of who I am and how I got to Des Moines. Uh, I was born in Mexico, and my family moved to the United States when I was eight years old. We moved to the south side of Tucson, Arizona, where I grew up, and then I spent most of my college days and most of my career in Phoenix, Arizona. And in 2015, when I was divorced, uh, my wife at the time uh, decided that living here in Des Moines, where she has a lot of family, would be the best thing for her and the boys. And I absolutely agreed it was the best thing for us at the time. So I moved here in 2016. I started my career as an educator and then quickly transitioned into supporting the professional world, primarily in public speaking and communication. And that's my, that's kind of the snapshot of my story and why I'm here in Des Moines. My purpose in life, my why, my stand is to create a world of confidence, authenticity, and joy. And I do that primarily, again, through communications and public speaking training. That's where we got connected by one of our mutual friends. Lisa even put us together, which, and she, Rockstar, talking about joy. That is, that is definitely her. And I can sense in hearing your story, building confidence. And it sounds like you've had a journey with that of like, how did, have you always been confident speaking in front of people? Are you confident now speaking in front of people? That's a great question. Um, confidence is a tricky, it's a tricky element to balance. Um, to answer your question, no. Uh, in fact, when I grew up, uh, I was oftentimes teased for the way that I spoke English and the way that I spoke Spanish. So I had a lot of hesitation in speaking up, had a lot of hesitation in having hard conversations and even asking for what I wanted. And when I started to learn the tools of public speaking, that really opened me up. But even then, there's a, there's a real conflicting, there's, there's conflicting elements because confidence comes not from assurance. And a lot of people misunderstand that. They think that in order to be confident, I need to know and have all of my ducks in a row. That's not confidence. Confidence is I can go into any situation and adapt and shift in whatever obstacle comes my way. So my role is building the confidence in that individual and allowing them to see that they already have all the tools they need to communicate powerfully or to achieve any of the goal, their goals powerfully. It's about how do you roll with the punches? It's about resiliency. It's about that's So confidence is really about resiliency. Yeah. I, I totally get that. And I've even gone through some of your private coaching as well of the thing that I'm not confident in myself is whether it's the podcast or even social media is 
projecting emotion in those situations. So I'm fine talking to a person to person of doing emotion and that talking is like normal people talk. But for some reason, once I get in front of a screen and I'm by myself, it's almost like I'm talking in my head versus portraying emotion. Is that something, is that something you teach as far as emotional speaking when, when public speaking? Yeah, that, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why. You, what I heard is that you get nervous. So right now we're just hanging out, we're talking, we're having a conversation. But if I leave this room and you have a camera set up in front of you and you're going to be recording something for Instagram or your website, that's when the nerves come. Is that what I heard? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. And it's because our brains are desiring feedback when we communicate. So you and I are giving each other intentional and unintentional feedback. Like you're nodding your head. You're saying you're, you're giving me verbal cues that our conversation is flowing. When you're just recording in front of a camera, that feedback doesn't exist. And the studies show, uh, Amy Cuddy refers to it as social quicksand. Like neutral, no reaction is worse than booing. So you would actually, your brain would actually prefer me sitting here and booing you and critiquing you and telling you you're terrible than nothing, right? And the trick here is to recognize that the people on the other side of the camera, they are giving you that feedback. And the other real real hack is who are you creating that content for? If you're being generous with your intention, if you're being, if you have a clear intention as to what you get to communicate, everything falls into place. And I'll add one more thing that's that's a, one of my main tenets is, especially when people are recording things, because recording is so connected and it's so uh, easily shifted, right? We could, you could go in and, re, you know, edit all of my ums and all of your ums and all of our pauses so that we sound brilliant. Because all of the podcasts that we listen to and the videos that we watch have that sense, we think we've got to be perfect. So then that builds that anxiety. But mm-hmm. even myself, as a professional public speaker, as a communications coach, you hear me. I'm natural. I'm authentic. I have my filler words. I have my stumbles. Those are actually great signs of powerful communication. I actually heard a story from, I think it was maybe as an actor recently. Well, I think it was an actor who was talking about how difficult it was to act during the pandemic with solo scenes because the rules state that everyone has to wear a mask on set so he couldn't get the reaction of the people around him for feedback and he was like even the director like can you take the mask off and they're like well no we we legally can he goes i don't care about the virus or anything like i need to see some type of emotional reaction to help me be a better actor and when i'm on set by myself which ties exactly what you just said of no reaction is the worst possible situation like even positive or negative, our brain can adapt to when there's no reaction, when there's nothing coming back. Our brain can't process that information. Exactly. That's very interesting. I never thought about it like that. Yeah, and I heard uh, another group of uh, individuals that mentioned this is a lot of late night talk show hosts. A lot of late night talk show hosts would record in, you know, whatever, their basement or in an isolated studio. And I heard a lot of them saying the same struggle because they're used to, you know, little story, punchline laughter, pausing, interaction, but when you give a joke and there's just nothing, that's really challenging. One of the things, Eric, that I liked about you, especially following your Instagram feed, was when you got a shipment of road fitness equipment in, and it was like Christmas morning, of which I 
Yes, opening the Rogue Fitness box is one of the, is one of the greatest feelings. Tell me how you how did you get there? How did you get into weightlifting? How did you get to be someone who loved looking up weight equipment and buying it for yourself? Oh man, <laughs> hitting on one of my favorite things to talk about in the world. So in 2015, uh, when I was divorced, I was I, I needed an emotional and physical outlet, and I happened to wander into a gym that was like this powerhouse of a gym. They offered yoga, hits cycling and crossfit and there was no way i was going to go into crossfit no no chance that seems scary and weird and I, I had this vision in my head of like i'm just not even i'm never going to fit in there and the person who enrolled me into the gym she was one of the crossfit coaches and she said listen you got to just try at least one class so i tried a class and it was okay i didn't die but I didn't particularly, I don't even really remember that first class. And I remember at the, it was the end of the month and my employer at the time gave a bonus if you went a certain number of times to a gym. And I had five days left and the only five classes that I could go to were CrossFit classes. So five days in a row, I went to CrossFit and I fell in love, totally fell in love. It was confusing, it was loud, there was so many different go things going on. It was a different language. And because I was confused, that gave me safety. Because there were so many things going on, that gave me uh, comfort. So I've been doing CrossFit for uh, almost six years uh, now. And it's a safe haven for me. It is, a, it is the place where my brain turns off, where I don't, I don't have to program anything. I don't have to think about anything. And because of the high intensity of the sport, my brain can't think about that email I got or the phone call I got. I just pick up the bar and go. So as my fitness journey has developed, um, I've also loved just adding additional workout regimes, specifically squat program. I use the hatch program. And uh, it just came time for me to have some equipment at home so that I could go out there at any point. All right. You mentioned two things. You just said it helped you physically and it helped you mentally. And I, I saw the quote from Greg Glassman circulating recently. I don't know if you saw it of the brain of his quote where it says the true adaptation from CrossFit is, does not happen to the body. It happens between your ears. Do you find it's more mental, more physical? Is it equal? Like what does it do for you as a person that keeps you coming back since 2015? I think of it like a car. So you wouldn't drive a car with a bad engine and you wouldn't drive a car with uh, mostly flat tires and you wouldn't drive a car that doesn't have uh, working brakes. And CrossFit for me is part of those elements is I'm working when I work in the gym, I'm also working my mind, I'm working my body, I'm working my soul, I'm working my emotions, I'm working all of the different elements. It's one piece to the greater puzzle. And I totally resonate with uh, that quotation is that it, it is a mental health benefit. There are times when I have been super depressed and super anxious and things are going on personally or professionally. And when I walk into the gym, I, I feel a sense of gratitude. I feel a sense of peace. And I feel a sense of uh, of community, too. Because 
there's a community of people to uh, that understand that this is hard. Uh, I, I'll add one more piece to it because I, I really do believe that how you do one thing is how you do everything. So when I, I'm in the gym and I'm doing this really, really hard thing, regardless of whether I meet my goal or not, right? Sometimes I meet them, sometimes I don't. I did the hard thing. So if I can walk into a CrossFit gym and do the hard thing, then I can leave the CrossFit gym and continue to do hard things throughout my day. Yeah, you touched on exactly what I talked about with my with the last interview I did with one of the personal trainers, which is she forever couldn't figure out why she was working out. She didn't have a purpose. And and maybe the purpose was to eat more calories that night, which is a terrible purpose. Like that's not sustainable. She needed a purpose to get stronger in order to do X, Y, and Z. So there was your purpose for why you keep coming back to the CrossFit. Um, I 100% agree. The, the misery loves company part of even if you fail, there's someone there to give you a fist bump. Oh yeah, this is great. That's the best part of group training. Like yes, personal training is great. One-on-one coaching is amazing. But there's something to a group atmosphere of misery loves company. We're all in this together. Um, a lot of group fitness classes are some of the most welcoming places I've ever been. Like no one cares if you're gay, straight, bisexual. No one cares as long as you're willing to come in and put in the work. Everyone's there together. Like there's really kind of a judgment-free zone, which is really hard to come by. Yeah, too, of no kidding. Where where can you go that's judgment-free? Those is where that's where I see a lot of gyms and group fitness. And a lot of people think of it as just a place to go burn calories and get healthier and to be a better person. I'm like, I see it as a place where it's a judgment-free zone where you show up and do the work because and everyone shows up that does the work. And if someone doesn't do the work, they're not invited back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you hit on it is one thing I've learned, not just in the gym, but in life is success is about showing up. If you show up every day, you're going to be successful. And uh, what you said made me think of a, uh, the moment I, I understood CrossFit, the moment I got it was, I remember it was early on in my CrossFit experience, it was probably month two or three, and I did a workout and I scaled it back so that I could finish and not feel dead, right? Mm-hmm. So like I could finish and feel accomplished. And I finished it, and I remember the coach saying, if you're not on the ground, you didn't do it right. And I looked around to what I felt like were these professional athletes, right? Like I was going to a gym that was like had former collegiate and high school athletes and they were dead. Like they were like passed out on the floor, sweating, like grunting. And then I realized, oh, we're we're doing the same exact workout. It doesn't matter if I'm doing it at 65 pounds and they're doing it at 185 pounds. We're all struggling and overcoming those struggles the exact same way. And I think that's what the the, the culture that is created in, in those types of environments is not about how much weight you pull. It's about, did you show up? Did you show up? And it teaches you how to be comfortable when you're uncomfortable. It yeah. teaches you real quick on how to be uncomfortable, which, which leads to a lot. And that's the physical adaptation. Like we lift something heavy. The act of lifting something heavy does not make you stronger. It's the adaptation after that is what makes you stronger. And I always think of it like a like a little like a little math curve where it's just a little up and down curve going up. And then what happens is our body gets used to that. And then we get used to that over time. And then we have a big stress incident where it spikes up and that can be positive or negative. That can be in the form of that can be you're really hot like a sauna. You're really cold like a cold tub. You lift something heavy. 
the body has to adapt to bring you back to that baseline in the middle. That's what strength and conditioning is built off of. That's and our mental health is no different. We all live in this state of homeostasis where most Americans live a pretty easy life. Like as easy as that may not be nice to say, but most of us, like we're not worried about our lives every single day. We'll get through. And I, that's one of my theories for the mental health side and what going to a gym and why that happens is it takes it out of that homeostasis, that kind of middle pattern, and it makes a big stress incident that retrains our brain to say, yep, that I need to recover from this. I just lifted that really heavy barbell. If I can do that, I guess my normal life isn't so bad. <laughs> right on. I mean, a- absolutely. And I think that a lot of people put their fear over their over their focus, mm-hmm. right? Is they would rather stay afraid of whatever that may be. It might be picking up the you know heavy barbell, walking into a gym that's really loud and crazy, or it might be having that hard conversation, or letting an employee go, or shifting your business plan. The, they're one and the same. I, I heard a quotation uh, recently that's really stuck with me that the the best moments of your life happened outside of your comfort zone. The best moments of your life happened outside of your comfort zone. And I would challenge your audience here to, to put that to the test that like maybe, you know, did that, you know, did your best moments happen when you were sitting on the couch watching Netflix or did they happen when you were having that conversation or achieving that goal? That's interesting because after one of the last uh, events you hosted that I went to, and I don't know if this ties in or not, but one of the takeaways I took was the brain remembers negative experiences way more than positive experiences. And does that tie into being uncomfortable and that's why we remember them more, your best experiences? Is that similar? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this ties into the emotional intelligence work that, that I also do, which is that the the brain is scanning every eight seconds for danger. Every eight seconds we're scanning to make sure that we're safe. And when we're not safe, either physically or emotionally or mentally, we start to create a story, right? Our brains are very powerful in keeping us safe, which is a good thing, right? Like I don't want to walk out in the middle of traffic. Like I want that, that story to stick, that, that lesson of like, don't walk out into traffic. Don't, you know, do, you know, don't put your hand on a hot stove. Those are great. But what happens is that we start to associate the pain and the discomfort of whatever stories we're creating, and that's what usually holds us back. So a lot of us live our lives moving around the uncomfortable. We're we're trying to avoid the uncomfortable instead of confronting the uncomfortable. And when we confront the uncomfortable and we create a new neural pathway in our brains and we understand that that story that story we used to tell ourselves isn't true and we overcome whatever obstacle that is that sends endorphins to the brain that's why you feel so great after a really really difficult workout it's like i don't think i can do it and i did that's magical stuff that's a new pathway and that that is a whole weekend seminar in my professional field of physical therapy on chronic pain Mm. so much of chronic pain is associated and when it goes on chronically like years worth of pain that people struggle with most times it's not a direct tissue it's not a tissue in the shoulder that's causing the chronic pain it's the brain 
inputting that output because it remembers all of the negative stuff that went on for so long. So that's what chronic pain treatment is, is retraining the brain that there's nothing locally wrong, or if there is, we need to retrain around that. We need to retrain it to make to feel comfortable in certain positions or doing certain activities. Most commonly, it's usually the low back, where years and years and years of trauma and negative experiences retrains your brain. So you think every time you bend forward, you're going to have that nerve pain going down your leg, and you do not want to experience that again because it was terrible. That's really what chronic pain is. It's more about brain retraining than it is actual tissue adaptation. Once we get for so you. Everything you just said was a whole seminar of chronic pain, of which is not my specialty. I would say it's not the thing that I excel at. Uh, most of my chronic pain that I deal with people, they'll say, I'm, I will do my best to bring your pain down. It's been here for 20 years. I can't guarantee it's going to go away, but I guarantee I will make you stronger. Mm. I, I know I can make you stronger with what I give you to do and if you're willing to put in the work. And at the end of us working together, the negative, the worst thing that happens is your pain doesn't change at all. It's the same way you've been living for years, but you're stronger and you can do something more. That's our negative response is you're stronger and you can do more. And if someone's willing to buy into that, then I, I will gladly work with it. That's how I treat chronic pain of let's try to retrain the brain, but I know I can retrain you to move and get stronger. Therefore, you're going to do more in life. Fascinating. I, like that's so cool that they, you know that this completely aligns, right? That all pain in physical, emotional, mental, like it's the same thing is our brain creates a story and then we get stuck in the past in that story. And then we repeat the past. And then, you know, our egos then create this uh, uh, experience or this excuse of like, see, I told you so. We're collecting the evidence as to why the past is always gonna be the past. I think something you said though, there was, was really powerful too is, if they're willing to do the work, right? Mm. I experienced that in my clients as well, and I'm sure you do too, is yes, we can achieve the maximum results in communication, in physical therapy, in the gym, and whatever, if you're willing to do the work. If you're not willing to show up every day and retrain your brain so that you can achieve that confidence, that authenticity, that joy, that pain-free lifestyle, then it's not going to come. I, I think that a lot of times people are looking for the hack or the trick. And while, you know, there are hacks and tricks to everything, there's no there's no substitute for that daily work. I 100% agree. Putting in the work. And I think the, the missing piece of which I try to get to with my clients is why they're actually there to see me. Mm -hmm. So you're not, oh, I'm here to see you because my shoulder hurts. Okay, what? why is that important? Well, you know, I can't go to my workout class. Um, hi, I'm Eric. I can't go to CrossFit class. Oh, okay, so you really like to go to CrossFit? Yes, when I don't go to CrossFit, I'm physically and mentally not the same person. Yeah. That's why you're in front. That's why you're in my office. You're in my office because you're physically and mentally not the right person right now because your shoulder hurts and you can't go to class. You're not here for my shoulder. You're here for those reasons. Yeah. Those are the things that click with people of, oh, right. It's finding their purpose, finding their why. And you already listed your whys of making people confident, being authentic, and bringing joy. How did how does someone find their why? How did you get there? Which I don't know if we'll have time enough time for <laughs> personal journey, but how does someone find that, or what do they need to consider to find their why? I think there's a there's a few things, um, examples from my life and my journey 
But the first is what we've already talked about is be willing to put in the work. That this there's no magic shortcut to anything. Like nothing at all. If you want to achieve the life of your dreams in any capacity of your life, you gotta put in the work. Um, the second thing is is that I learned how to get out of my own way. I learned that the person holding me back my entire life was me. I was stuck in this victim mentality that like, oh, I can't do this because of so-and-so, or I can't do this because of this regulation, or, you know, this, you know, person said no, or this person said yes to, whatever the case may be, my ego was, again, uh, consistently protecting me because I didn't want to be responsible for my own actions. The second, the second that I shifted my mindset and realized that I'm in control of what I get to achieve, that's when things uh, started shifting for me in every facet of my life. And it wasn't easy. Um, I, I really started my journey a few months before my 40th birthday. I'm almost 43, so it's about been about three years. And uh, it's been a lot of hard work, but it's just like the gym. The hardest work let, has led to the best results. Yeah. Um, touching on that, that's, we, I don't I think one of my, maybe my third podcast episode was talking about that from a New Year's resolution standpoint of finding your why. Like, why are you really doing this? I want to lose 10 pounds. Why? What, what's that going to do? Is it to look better? Is it to feel better? Is it to have more energy? Is it to be a good role model for your kids? What What is your purpose? What is your why? Um, what is, I know you have, you have children. Mm-hmm. How does being a father and a business owner play into that, play into your why? with confidence, authenticity, and joy? Well, I mean, it's it's everything, right? I mean, it's you're, you're a father as well. It's interesting. I was having a conversation with, with a, a good friend of mine yesterday, and he's considering changing career paths, and he made a comment of like something to the effect of, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm doing it for them. I want to find something that would give me you know, better finances and more flexibility. And I pushed on him, uh, and I said, you know, I – I was in a job that had steady finances and had flexibility, and then I moved to another job that had better finances and better flexibility, and guess what? Still miserable. Still deeply, deeply, deeply miserable. So I moved to another job with better finances and better flexibility, and I continued to be miserable. And it's because I wasn't being honest and authentic with who I was being and what I wanted to do. And so my advice to my friend was, in order to really, truly care for your kids, you got to first and foremost care for yourself. You know, I think a a lot of times us as parents are martyrs to our kids. We're victim to our kids. Like, oh, I can't have the job of my dreams because that would be too scary. And uh, I got to provide for my kids. For me personally, I am providing for my two sons significantly more financially, emotionally, physically, and in opportunities for us to be able to travel and be able to learn whatever it is that we get to learn, I'm able to do that because I took a risk and trusted myself. Now, it wasn't easy. It was actually really, really scary, but totally worth it. So I serve my children by first serving myself. That is a really powerful statement. And I can see that in... I can see that in just your lifestyle or even the things you talk about physically and mentally. And I see that as 
I don't know how we're going to fight the the di or um, the diabetes, diabetes and obesity mm-hmm. epidemic coming mm-hmm. with our children. Mm-hmm. Like if you're under the age of twenty, like you're already fifty percent likely that you're going to be pre-diabetic. It's even worse with people who are from uh, Mexico, African American, things of that nature. That's where I see parents stepping in, where you want to provide your children. You and I both know that. You want to do everything you can. Unless you care for yourself, you're never going to care for them. Unless you do it yourself and want to be a role model, you won't teach your kids. You can do as I say, not as I do to them all you want, but they really see what you do and how you live your life. That's the best rationale I can give. I can talk about sugar. I can talk about all the negative effects that kids have. But I want to throw it on the parent of what are you doing to be a good role model, to be active? And are you pushing that aside so your kids can have, so they can be active? And what are you doing for yourself to teach them? Is that something you've considered? I, I saw you brought your kids to the gym. Is that something oh, you've, yeah. ever, you've ever considered with your own with your own sons? You know, I've been, my sons are, are now 10 and almost 8, uh, so 7 years old. And I've been very open with them and very direct with them about my health journey. Uh, and yeah, I take them to the gym all the time. And they've actually taken CrossFit classes as well, to the point to now that they're requesting to go to CrossFit. And that was really just a side note. I didn't push into them. I offered it as an option. But they they have seen me do it so much, and they have seen the benefit that they are excited to do that. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I used to drink a lot. I mean, and I mean a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, a four beer night was a light night. And I wasn't talk- I wasn't drinking Budweiser's and Bud Lights. I was drinking heavy, high alcohol IPAs. And I started to realize my sons see that. Mm. They, they see exactly what is going on. They doesn't matter how old your kids are. Kids are actually some of the most observant people in the world because they're scanning more than we are. They're trying to learn and survive. And I've been very open with them. Um, I stopped drinking uh, consistently right before my 40th birthday. And they know. They know that I only drink on a certain occasions. And when I drink, it's only in these you know, certain parameters. And I've been on a nutrition journey in the last year as well. And they know. They know I'm not going to eat sugar. They know I'm not going to eat dairy. They know I'm not going to eat gluten. I have a specific diet and plan. And the results of that is... I'm energized. I'm killing it at the gym. I'm doing all of these different things. And I'm starting to see that impact on them too. They're considering, should I eat this? Should I eat that? They're requesting, I want to go and work out. I want to move. So absolutely. It, it's That's an interesting way to frame it. And I like it. I want to hit on something that you yeah. said with your nutritional journey, which is yes. Okay. I don't eat dairy. I don't eat gluten. Like I rarely drink alcohol. All great behaviors to have. Which, if taken to the extreme, can be negatives, where I can't eat dairy, right. I can't have alcohol, I can't have this, because kids can pick up on that really quickly, too. It's more of a choice of like, hey, what do you want to have? Do you want to have a Big Mac, or do you want to have something else? Do you want to have a ham sandwich from the, from the refrigerator? And they see that choice of, oh, I can't have a Big Mac. Mm-hmm. That almost makes you want to have it more. Right, yeah. Then, you know what, I am going to have that Big Mac today, but tomorrow I'm probably going to have the ham sandwich. That choice is what I think what you're teaching your kids. Oh, hey, you know what? I'm choosing this. I can go back. Like, yeah, I'll go back from time to time. I don't have to be in this lifestyle. 
sometimes because I think you're a pretty extreme guy. I think you like to push things to the extreme. I'm glad it hasn't gone that far right. of teaching them, of teaching them certain habits. Um, I want to go on one. I I really like to dispel common myths. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad that you're getting your children interested in moving and weightlifting. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great thing to get kids into. For some reason, we're still stuck in like the 1970s. Where <laughs> it's like, why would you have a kid lift weights? They're going to like, they're they're going to ruin their growth plates. They're going to stunt their growth. All of that, of which has been totally dispelled in every piece of literature I've read in the strength and conditioning realm. I mean, yes, there's a safe way to do it, and there's an unsafe way to do it. But that's still out there of, oh, I can't. And I'm trying to figure out why. So I'm going to run a theory by you. And let me, I know, I know you're an analytical guy. I'm going to do another podcast episode on this. I already have my rant all out. Because women in weightlifting, Mm -hmm. we've come around. Mm -hmm. Forever it was, I don't want to get bulky. And you still hear that from time to time. A woman will say, I don't want to lift weights, right? Because I don't want to get bulky. Which I laugh and say, Men have been trying to get bulky with weights, (laughs) and it doesn't work like that. And I think it's a front. I think it's a front for women. Whenever some, whenever that is uttered, I want to lean up. I want to tone up. I don't want to get bulky. I think that's a front for. I don't know how to lift weights. I don't want to look stupid in front of other people, and I don't want to ask for help. Yeah, I mean it's. Was it was that sorry? That, that, that's my rant. Yeah. Women in weightlifting and even kids of I think that was the front of I don't want to have them get injured. I don't want to have them do things poorly. Therefore, it stunts their growth and is bad. Yeah. When really it's yeah, get them with the right coach that teaches them how to move and teaches them what to do and what not to do is way safer than what I did, which was taught myself in the high school weight room, and I had no clue what I was doing. Right. In college, I had no, I was a strength and conditioning major. And looking back, I had no clue what I was doing, which is fine. You're a kid, you figure it out. But having help, having guidance, being a good role model, that's something I believe in. And I think we're coming around with kids in weightlifting. Oh, it's great. We know it's beneficial for their physical health, their mental health. Being coachable is such a good skill that a lot of people are missing out on. I know you're coachable. I know you coach others. Yeah. Talk about the coaching you seek out. What are you working on to get better at? Well, I want to go back to, to a few of the things that you said, and then I'll answer to your question. Is uh, it, I, I, I agree with you, and I would actually extend it not just to, to children and to women. I would say the entire population finds reasons and excuses to not achieve the life of their dreams, right? Or they they have certain fears, and it goes back to the extremes, right? So we see the extreme CrossFit athlete. Right, the CrossFit Games athlete is much different than you and I. Right, not good or bad. It's actually just they're, they're completely neutral, but we're different people with completely different goals. And we're not, we're, not <laughs> we're yeah, exactly we're we're not we're not going at that intensity. And they're professional athletes. They're literally paid for what they're doing with their body. Their whole regime and nutrition is completely different. And it's not like we're, you know, with whomever, it's not like somebody's going to walk into a CrossFit gym and do a CrossFit Games style workout, right? There's always a starting point. And one of the things I love about CrossFit is those particular goals. What are your goals? And let's adapt to that. Um, so there, we do, we, we go into the, the, the absolute extreme. 
And in terms of, of your question about, you know, my coaching and who's coachable, um, I mean, you, you just nailed it. It goes back to what we said is, are you willing to put in the work? And I'll add another layer to it. Are you willing to receive confrontational feedback? When I say confrontational, I don't mean like in your face, yelling, screaming, but confrontational to your ego, right? If I say, hey, this thing that you're doing in your communication isn't working gonna stink just like if you see me doing pull-ups at the gym you might say "Mm, the way that you're approaching them isn't working i can say that because that's what happened to me this week is is doing pull-ups my coach said no 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 you're you're not being efficient with it and at first it stung right because i had this rhythm i had a routine on how i do pull-ups and then she said something brilliant just brilliant that i think applies to all coaching she said you know, she gave me a new way of approaching pull-ups. And she said, it's going to be uncomfortable for a little bit, but it will be better for you in the long run. That is the ideal coaching client. Someone who's willing to step into that discomfort, willing to understand your ego is going to be constantly hit. And it's going to, that discomfort is going to lead to something much, much bigger. I've never thought about it from that perspective. But yes, being coached, is uncomfortable oh big time because i've never really thought about yeah. that I'm, i've just I've just been coached my whole life upon different things but yes being coached is very uncomfortable and i think they try to have you try to have a balance of positives and negatives but your brain remembers the negatives of telling you you're bad at something so much more yeah it, it, it is an uncomfortable experience that i like but that's that's interesting i never thought about it from that perspective well you just you just hit on it you like because your brain is now used to, you know, again, it has created a new neural pathway that says, when I'm coached, I get better. Not everybody has that experience in, in athletics and communication in job performance. But when we seek out coaching and we get that confrontational feedback and we get better, our brain starts to crave it. Like, I crave feedback. Give it to me, <laughs> right? On my workouts, on my speaking, on my business, give it to me. Uh, even what, you know, and I, I really have learned that feedback isn't positive or negative. It's neutral. We assign emotion to it. And so any sort of feedback always helps me grow. But yeah, that's, it's, it, it, it is hard for a lot of clients that I have initially to get that. What do you mean? And I'll, I'll add one more thing because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll here. The feedback that stings the most is the feedback that we already know. Is if I'm afraid, I mean... I'm afraid of my pull-up form because I know it's bad. And so when I heard, hey, your pull-up form is bad. Okay, yep, yep, I was waiting for that one. Um, and it stings, but I know I can get better. That, that's interesting. It, that You nailed it right on the head, Eric. That makes so much more sense. And, and I've never put that together of coaching and being uncomfortable. And yes, one of the things I do believe, and yeah, maybe I should circle back and not just call out women and children with weightlifting. It's all, everybody. Everybody creates a story, yeah. I I really do believe that we don't get old, we get weak. Mm. Like the the stronger you are, the older in life, the more you're going to enjoy life, just in general, which uh, most Americans, we just don't. We don't want to be uncomfortable. Um, it, It even brought me back to something that I heard from the knees over toes guy. You know who I'm talking about? No. So he's a big, he's a huge Instagram guy. So he, he's a personal trainer, and his whole philosophy is strengthening your knees by bringing your knees over your toes. 
Mm. Which conventionally you're always told, hey, don't put your knees over your toes, bad for your knees, don't do that. You and I both overhead squat. We know that it's physically impossible to overhead squat without your knees going over. Right, yeah. <laughs> and he's developed a whole training program that builds up capacity to train your knees over your toes. But he said something really thoughtful, which I'm, I'm so disappointed I didn't think of, which is conventional workouts require you to go on a machine to move you, a treadmill. You go on a treadmill mm-hmm. and the machine moves you. Why not you move a machine? Mm. like a sled push like a sled pull yeah uh, and i was like that is such and the reason is easy it's harder it's the, the setup regardless but i'm like that is such an interesting just concept of why do i have to go on the machine to move me to exercise why don't i move the machine yeah now that's very interesting i've never thought <laughs> about that perspective but it's uncomfortable that's why it doesn't happen is we don't put in the work because it's uncomfortable yeah um we talked about a lot today. We kind of went all over the place. Loved it. Uh, let, let's do a quick recap. Some of the biggest things you have to put in the work. Always. It, it, whatever it is that you're doing, you got to put in the work. And the, I'll add this to it is that when, when I say the word work, a lot of times myself included feel like, oh, I don't want to work. <laughs> right? But going to the gym can be fun. Mm-hmm. Building your business can be fun. It's not easy, but it, work can be fun. It can be joyful. Whether that is, yeah, whether that's going to the gym, whether that's being a better communicator, whether that's being a better speaker, you need to put in the work and you need to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You need to put in the work to enjoy the feeling of being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Being uncomfortable is very important to adaptation. That's what I took away from what you were talking about in your speaking is, is it is uncomfortable. And even you as a public speaker that has spoken in front of thousands of people, it's still uncomfortable. Always. Always uncomfortable. Uh, and that's that's part of the joy. Um, those are the two main things I took away. What yeah. else did you take away from today, Eric? Did I miss anything of the points you made? Just I, I think that, that I, I love the discussion behind the way that our brain protects us. Mm-hmm. Actually, I would say the brain overprotects us. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would encourage your listeners to, to really sit with is how am I overprotecting myself to where I can't achieve what I want to achieve? How am I sitting in that particular story and using that old story as an excuse? And I would encourage uh, listeners to step into that responsibility. You know, I love the word responsibility because it literally means ability to respond. So you have the ability to respond to whatever story you have created and achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. Eric, I want everyone listening to know where they can find out more about you. How do they listen to you speak? How do they hire you to speak? Well, oh, thank tell you. The people. Absolutely. You can go to my website, which is speakupstories.com, and you can find me on all of the social media platforms, Eric, E-R-I-K-J Dominguez. Uh, you can contact me there or at Eric, E-R-I-K, at speakupstories.com. Eric, this is a blast. Thanks for coming on. This is so much fun. Be sure to check out eric at whatever the social media is you prefer and if you like the podcast i'll check you out next week awesome thanks for having me hey real quick before you go thanks for listening if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to share it with others please take a screenshot and share it to your story on facebook or instagram and make sure to tag rev health and wellness to stay up to date on all of our latest episodes be sure to follow rev health and wellness on facebook and instagram